0: Um, I just want to give you a, a, a warning this morning. That rhymes. Warning this morning. Morning warnings. Uh, morning warning uh, number one is that my son was playing some shenanigans with us in the night, and so I'm a little bit wary. And I don't know if you know this, but as an audience, you can actually make a preacher preach better. Amen. Because if you're rowdy, you get more out of your preacher. So if I if I'm bad this morning, it's your fault. No, I'm joking, it's not, but I am encouraging you to encourage me, because I need help. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for the, just the wonders of who you are, and I thank you, God, for your extraordinary love for us, God. I pray that as we journey in this subject, God, you speak afresh to us, in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, we are the third week into a vision series. Uh, Ross did a phenomenal job speaking about um, our values, and he actually started at the end, which is logical. Uh, and he, he spoke on release potential and impact community. And today I'm going to be speaking on love people, and then next week, Paul Taylor, and not Gary Blair, is going to be speaking on enjoy God. Uh, and so we're really going to dig into this value of loving people, uh, loving people, or, or being a people that loves. Is one of those kind of truisms for christians and you've grown if you've grown up in church you've seen this i grew up in in church so i heard lots of stories about loving people um and the truth is is that mostly i just i felt like it was this really tough thing that i had to do because let's be honest sometimes people are the best but sometimes people are the worst and when you no, not i'm into that wrong time (laughs) wrong timing on that one it was a lo- meant to be a joke, not a point of agreement. But anyway, but apparently I've got some work to do this morning. Um, so, but if you think about it, like when, 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 when people, when being in a team is the best, is the best. And when being with people is the worst, is the worst. So think about a team at work. There's nothing better than feeling like you're a part of a team. Everyone knows their place. You can rely on each other, trust each other, and together you're accomplishing something that you could never do uh, on your own. And it, that's an amazing thing. But there's nothing worse in the working world when uh, than when the team is fractured and fragmented and there's mistrust and people are like forming little... You know partnerships and, and this you know division, and and then it's the worst. Or, or think about a family environment. That f- when families are working and the family environment is working, it's like it's awesome. Uh, and then like you go on holiday together and you're having an amazing time. But then it just rains like one too many days in a row and you suck inside together. Um, and you know where this is going. And all of a sudden it's the worst. It's like how how come it, when when it works it's the best, but when our relationships don't work it's the worst. And in the middle of this we have got to love people. And then. You know, Jesus told stories like this, you know, like because someone asked Jesus about, you know, uh, love your neighbors, love yourself. And you go, well, who's my neighbor? Because that's the key, you know. Because if your neighbor is literally the person that's like you, then that's cool. But if your neighbor is people that are not like you, uh, then it's difficult. And Jesus tells a story about this uh, good Samaritan. He said this Jewish fellow, he was you know, cruising home one day on a trip and he gets beaten up and left for dead and then the guys uh, walk around, the priest comes and he sees him and then he walks around him. You know, does that Christian thing which says, I'm gonna pray for you, which means I'll give you something but it costs me nothing. That's awesome, you know. It's the Christian way of doing nothing. I'll pray for you, brother. Um, and then the Samaritan comes and finds him and then he, he tends his wounds and looks after him and then pays for him at an inn to be looked after. I'm like... Like, that's tricky, you know? And Jesus says so stuff like this, as I have loved you, so you should love one another. And in another place, greater love has no one than to lay down his life for his friends. So are we, I mean, practically speaking, what are we meant to do? Are we meant to be willing to lay down our lives for our friends? And Jesus didn't only lay down his life for his friends, but for his enemies too. So what do we do? Because then there's that moment where I'm, I'm at the robot, and then there's this guy here asking me for something. And the problem is is that at that moment, like when I'm in my car, I'm in my nothing box. Ladies, I want to explain something about a man's nothing box this morning. When I'm in my nothing box, it's a wide and open space. And literally, if someone calls me and they get me out of my nothing box into present reality, it's like I've journeyed light years to be with you. The distance from my nothing box to the present reality is a quantum leap. And so it's like I've traveled all this way to see you at my window and go, no, no. And then, I, and then I'm like irritated in that moment. And I'm like, oh, I shouldn't be irritated because like, maybe this man's my neighbor. You know, like, practically, how does this work? And I've got another very practical thing. What about introverts? Not like do we have to love them. Obviously, we have to love introverts. But do introverts have to love people too? Because like there's this, mo- this thing, and it just happened now. Tim did it. When it's greeting time at church, but you're an introvert. Because for some of you guys, you're maxing out with it. I'm looking at one introvert right now. You're maxing out just being here with all these people, and then then the pastor says, say hello to someone. You're like, I don't want to say hello to anyone. I didn't come here for you, I came here for some worship, some word, you know, now I've got to like be engaging. And it's like, church is a tough place for introverts sometimes. You know, that's why like there's there's different traditions. There's literally traditions where, uh, Christian traditions where people meditate alone in silence in caves for weeks at a time. Like, you know, I could have some of that sometime. Because pastoring involves people. And um, and the truth is, is that in all of this stuff, like how does it actually work? Like this thing of loving people and, and being there for people, because sometimes being with people is the absolute best, but sometimes it's the worst. And so that's, we're going to dig into three things today. Why, why I love people? Why is that important? Number two, how do we actually love people? How do we consistently love people and being a people that loves? And I think here's the biggest thing is let's quit the guilt. Because for me, so often, this imperative to love people actually feels like this really high standard that I constantly fall short of, and and it's like, no, but I should be more loving, as I said, you know, at the robot or at church when I've got to greet people and I'm feeling awkward, and, you know, people don't know this about me, but I actually am a little bit of an introvert and sometimes get shy. You know, because you see me now, and you're like, it's impossible, but no one's talking back, you know, so it's fine. But how do we quit the guilt around this stuff, and how do we really consistently be a people of love because it's crucial, and why is that important? And so that's what we're gonna dig in today, and I'm gonna spend most of my time in a, a chapter, uh, 1 John chapter 4, and we're gonna work our way through some of this from verse seven. Dear friends, let us continue to love one another, for love comes from God. Anyone who loves is a child of God and knows God, but anyone who does not love does not know God, for God is love. The solution to lacking love is simple, know God. And, and that's really important because so often we go, no, I need to be more loving. That's the fruit. We need to go to the root of the issue. The root of the issue is you need to know God more. If you knew God more, you would love more. So keep the main thing the main thing. You know, you, you, don't, you don't see uh, apple trees go, apples, apples. Apples. Apples, they just go water and nutrients and the apples come all by themselves. As people of God, when you know God and you dig into God, loving people is the byproduct. And so here's the thing. If you're really, really struggling to love people, maybe you just need to be born again. Because that's what he's saying. He's saying if you love one another, love comes from God. Anyone that loves is a child of God and knows God. But if you don't love, then you don't know God. For God is love. Very simple. Just be born again, because here's the thing, is that when we're born again, we're born of Him's Spirit. We were dead to God, and God came by His Spirit and gave life to us. And so what, uh, who God is, God's very DNA is love. And when He gives birth to our spirit within us, love is a part of our DNA. We're made after His image. And the, the, to be clear, there's four types of love in the New Testament. There's eros, which is romantic love you don't have to do that for everyone because that would be awkward there's filio, which is friendship love you don't have to do that for everyone which means you still get to have friends and have a different affection for them than normal people there's storge which is familial or family love So you get to have that, but there's a love, which is God's kind of love and unconditional love for people. And I I remember so clearly what happened to me when I was born again is all of a sudden I wanted to engage with people. I wanted to share my faith with people. I wanted them to experience what I experienced. I found myself praying for people to be saved. I found myself sharing the, the gospel with people. And no one had to tell me, you need to do this. I just wanted to do it. Why? Because I was born of love. It's an outworking of my new DNA. And and the thing is here is that the Bible so often makes statements about who we are, but we turn them into, I ought to be like that statements. For example, Jesus came along and he said, you are the salt of the earth. And, And we walk away going, I need to be the salt of the earth. No, you are the salt of the earth. Just be yourself. You see, we make it into a law that we can pass or fail on, but God says, this is who you are. If you recognize who you are, you'll just do it. And salt has a preserving nature to society and the people around you. That's just who you are. You are the lights of the world. Oh, I need to be light. No, you are lights. He says no one lights a lamp and then puts a basket over it. In other words, you have to work pretty hard to cover up who you are. And the problem is, is that we spend our life trying to be what Jesus Christ has really made us. And if you just had confidence in the power of his inner work in you, you would be able to walk in freedom in this space. And in this space, part of this is God says you are born of God. God is love. So you are born of love and you will love people. Get out of your own way. Because there is nothing worse than guilt to mess up trying to love. How, how would guilt ever be a great motivation to love people? And then you say, well, I'm trying to love you more. why? Wow, because I'm just feeling so guilty. You're like, you know what? Keep your love to yourself. If I'm your pet project, to prove that you actually, you and God are, you know what, just keep that to yourself. I don't need that guilt to motivate you to love me. Come on. And the problem here is that we're insecure about what God's done in us, and we, we're insecure. We think God hasn't actually been given new life to us, which is love, and He has. We are born of Him. God showed how much he loved us by sending his one and only son into the world so that we might have eternal life through him. This is real love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us. You see where his focus is? Not that we loved God, but that he loved us. His focus isn't on his or anyone else's ability to love. His focus is on the love of God that motivated him to act. This is real love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. I want you to know that God's love is fully expressed by the fact that he sent his son to die for you. So often, because here's the thing, the root of this is if we experience the love of God, we'll have something to give away. And so often I've seen people who said, man, I had this encounter with the love of God and I just knew how much God loved me. I had a friend, he was lying in hospital. Many of you know him. Stu Morrison, he shared the story here. He was sick with depression, he was bulimic, he was, had a back operation, he was absolutely broken, and in that space, God said, I love you, and it shaped his life, because he said, I'm at my worst, and if at my worst, you love me. And he believed it, and it shaped his life. And I was like, yo, I wanna love like Stu, but I, I just need to have Stu's kind of experience then. And what happens is we, we compare our experience with God with someone else's experience of God, and we use it as a disqualification. Well, if I had that experience, I'd be that too. If you want to know the love of God, look at the cross. You don't need any more evidence that God loves you. And here's the thing. is that The thing that motivated the father to send his son and the thing that motivated the son to go to the cross is love. Not justice. You know, sometimes I think the reason he had to go there it was for justice, to satisfy justice, and it's correct, but it wasn't enough to send him to the cross. Not mercy. He wanted to show mercy. It wasn't enough to send him to the cross. The thing that motivated Jesus, the primary motivation of Jesus going to the cross was his love for you. His love for you. God gave himself for us. Paul says this in Ephesians 5. says, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church who loved her and gave himself for her. The reason Jesus Christ gave himself was out of his love for the church. And he took upon himself our sin and all that that meant. And he was separated from his father because of his great love for us. We are the bride of Christ. In Genesis 29, there's this amazing story where Jacob, has run away from his brother Esau because he stole his birthright. He's gone to his uncle Laban and he's fallen in love with a young maiden named Rachel and he wants to marry her but now he's got no bucks and he had to pay Labola we know how this works literally, it's a dowry, it's Labola and so he strikes up a deal with his uncle and he says man if I work for you seven years then that will be my payment I'll work seven years so think of that, take your salary times about twelve times it by seven Seven years he works. And I remember being a young man and reading this and going, yo, this girl must have been some girl. I mean, now I understand, now that I have my wife. But seven years is a long time. And the amazing thing is it says this, so Jacob worked seven years to pay for Rachel, but his love for her was so strong that it seemed to him but a few days. But a few days. And who are you to Jesus Christ? It didn't cost him seven years. It cost him his life. cost him his life. Forget seven years. He he, he left heaven and came to earth and took your sin upon himself and died your death so that he could have you because of his great love for you. And Paul says this, the life I live in the flesh. This is Galatians 2.20. I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. We can spend the rest of our lives journeying into this and looking at the cross afresh again and again and still only ever scratch the surface of Jesus Christ's love for us. Dear friends, since God loved us that much, we surely ought to love each other. No one has ever seen God, but if we love each other, God lives in us and his love is brought to full expression in us. I think this is such an extraordinary thing. It says there, no one has ever seen God, but if we love each other, God lives in us and his love is brought to full expression in us. In other words, no one has ever seen God, but if we love each other, people will see God. Jesus said, by this will all men know that you are my disciples by your love for one another. So the way we love on each other is a testimony to the world that Jesus Christ is real, and it's the only place they can really see God. Well, one of the only places they can really see God in the way we treat each other. It's brought to full expression. We mature. We grow up in love. Why? Because we're born of our Father. We're born of His DNA, and He is love, and so as we learn to love, we actually look like Him. And here's the thing is that we grow up in love. We look more and more like our Father. Now, I have a son, I talk about him every time I preach, so if you've been coming, you'll know about him. His name is Judah, Joe Blair, and we've got a picture of him. He's over here. He's about five or six months old at this stage. It was obviously quite a chilly morning, and so we were both in our hoodies. And and the coolest thing for me about Judah is that he looks quite like me. Some people say he looks like Teresa, but you're wrong. (laughs) And um, he looks quite like me, and so... uh, we, we took this photo once and then we sent it to Teresa's sisters and then this is what came back. We did some detective work. You can see there quite clearly we both have the same Superman curl <laughs> on our foreheads because we look like each other. And, and here's the thing. As a father, I am so, so proud that my boy looks like me. And your father is so, so proud that you look like him. And he looks at, like me here, but in a few years' time, he'll start imitating me, which is a little bit scary, but also good. He'll start imitating me. And who's going to look more like his father? Is it, is it six-month-old Judah, or is it you know three-year-old Judah, or is it five-year-old Judah, or 12-year-old Judah, or one day when he's 40, especially if I'm a really... Good father, that he'll imitate what he's seen, and his life will be a reflection of mine. And here's the thing: is as you grow up into, as you mature in your faith, you increasingly look like your father. But what happens is we look at what, where we're at right now, and we say, "I need to be more mature," and we place guilt and pressure on ourselves to become that. And I want you to know that even if you're six months old. Judah, if you're only six months and you're just starting to look like your dad, he's still so proud of who you are. You need to celebrate the ways in which you're growing in love right now and realize that your father in heaven looks at you and goes, that's my son, that's my daughter, you look like me, and he's not sad that you don't look more like him yet because you're gonna grow up into that. Quit the guilt. He loves you. And God has given us His Spirit as proof that we live in Him and He in us. Furthermore, we have seen with our own eyes and now testify that the Father sent His Son to be the Savior of the world. Furthermore, we have seen with our own eyes now testify the Father sent His Son. There it is, the Trinity. There's the Spirit. There's the Father. And there's the Son. And each of these has a special message of love for us and draws us into the midst of that. The father loved us so much that he sent his son. And the Bible says he did it so that he would be the firstborn amongst many sons and daughters. In other words, he had one son, but it wasn't enough. He needed some more. We don't always understand that. Like we understand it to two, maybe three, maybe four kids. But that's because we've got capacity issues. God doesn't. God wanted more children. And so he made you and redeemed you to himself. Out of his great love for you. And I don't know of any love like a parent's love for their kid. It's a love that you don't have to earn. You don't have to, you know... I mean, I love my wife, but there was a process of falling in love with her. And there were questions like, is it, isn't it, should we get married, shouldn't, I never, I never had that with my son. God loves you, you're one of his kids. And then there's Jesus, who spent so much time interacting with sinners, and he was always around the unlovely and the unlikely around prostitutes and tax collectors. You know, we always hear that Jesus hung out with prostitutes and tax collectors. He also hung out with Pharisees. He also hung out with the religious. It didn't matter if you're absolutely lost in your sin or absolutely lost in your self-righteousness. Jesus hung out with them because he wanted to be with them and Jesus wants to hang out with you and be with you. Jesus likes being with you. He wants to be around you. And then you've got the Spirit of God that comes to live in us. And the Spirit of God is, sometimes we've got to work a little bit harder to understand the nature of our relationship with the Holy Spirit because we get Father because we've had them in a normal part of life. We get Son or Friend and Jesus, Savior, because we can understand that. But the Holy Spirit is a little bit different. And in John chapter 16, the, the Greek word for the Holy Spirit is the parakletos, which is the one that walks beside us. And there's, there's four, in different translations, it's translated one of four ways. It's translated as counselor. You know, because sometimes like the English doesn't quite encapsulate the Greek. And we'll know this because there's some words that you just can't translate. That's why we still use the slangs. For example, I don't know if I can say this in church, but I'm gonna say it anyway. You tell me afterwards if I'm allowed to say it. For example, the word khatful. Think of a single English word that gives the feeling of khatful. There's no word. There's no single English word that gives us the full understanding of who the Holy Spirit is to us, the parakletos. So there's four words in different translation. One is counselor. I don't know if you've ever been in a season of your life when you need a counselor. And you couldn't afford the fifteen hundred rand an hour of a really good counselor. Well the Holy Spirit will be your counselor. Also, another word is advocate. Advocate. Advocate is one that represents you. I don't know, but if I was went to court, I'd want a very good advocate. Because I don't know if I, He would do a better job at representing me than I would myself. And the Holy Spirit is your, <coughs> sorry, the Holy Spirit is your advocate. Representing you before the Father. He's the consoler. He, he's the one that has empathy with you and, and can feel with you. And He's your Intercessor. Representing your needs before God. The Holy Spirit can be grieved. It says, do not grieve the Holy Spirit. And the only reason you can grieve the Holy Spirit is because He wants connection with us. You can't grieve someone who doesn't want connection with you. And then He empowers us for service and He gives us gifts and abilities and talents and then He anoints those. It's kind of like the Holy Spirit doesn't want to miss a moment of our lives because He loves us. And the question is, what must we do to have this relationship with this God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit that loves us so much? Verse 15, all who declare that Jesus is the Son of God have God living in them, and they live in God. Sorry, is that it? No seven-year training, seven years of work, some great escapade you've got to do for God. No, all who declare that Jesus is the Son of God have God living in them, and they live in God. Do you declare that Jesus Christ is the Son of God when I mean, God lives in you? The barrier to entry is so low. Just receive His love. Such love has no fear, because perfect love expels all fear. If we are afraid, it is for fear of punishment and it shows that we have not fully experienced His perfect love. You see, fear is anti-love. And while this is speaking about us and God, the truth is, it spills out into our relationships with people. Ever approached a relationship with someone, and there's a sense of fear there because you fear their rejection, or you fear their disapproval, or you fear a breakdown. What are they going to say or think about me? Or then there's just room to receive more love from the Father. And what we're doing in that moment is we're taking the questions of our life: Am I worth loving? Am I significant? Am I valuable? And we're taking those questions to other people. And God says, bring those questions to me. He's already declared that you're worth loving. You're so valuable that he died on a cross for you. Stop taking your questions to people. Because if you take your questions to people, they're going to let you down. You're going to live your life in fear. You know, fear is at the root of all broken relationship. Racism sexism, breakdown in family relationships because at some point we fear that this person is going to withhold us, but when we're secure in his love, it blunts the potential pain of others hurting us because we've taken our ultimate questions of our value and our worth and our significance to God. And He's answered them by His love. And in this closing sentence, we love each other because He first because He loved us first. You see, we need to get the order of our life right. And so many of us, we we, we spend our time chasing career goals and chasing money goals and chasing friendship goals because we're looking to those things to satisfy our hearts. Spend your energy chasing the love of the Father pursuing his love, pursuing that relationship, and taking that answered question, I am deeply loved to people around you because then you can love them. We love others because he first loves us. And when we experience his love at the first, the first part of our day, the first part of our life, the first question in our morning, God, do you uh, I need to receive of your love? We can take that answer to the people around us and share our love with others. When we talk of a church, and a value of love people, what we're saying is that we're a people that are so embedded in his love that we've got some love to share with others. Recently, I've been working on a testimony with someone in our community. They came to faith in this church. And and this person comes from a horrific background, like in 20 years of pastoring, it's one of the worst I've ever heard smashed up by life the kind of childhood that really is and she said I came into this place and I saw the love that these people had for each other and I was in worship and I experienced the love of God and it broke my heart if you met her now she's one of the most loving people I know There's not a ministry strategy in the world that can do that. That's not a clever life group system. That's not a clever get involved in church system. That's not a clever we've got some grow groups for you system. That is the love of God doing what only the love of God can do. When we're saying we want to be a church that loves people, we want to be that kind of church. When people walk in here, they experience something of God's love and it changes them and it's supernatural and it's beyond what we can strategize or think up. We're not that smart. We need to know the love of God. We're gonna take communion now, so I'm gonna invite our uh, hospitality teams to hand out communion. And really what we're gonna do here is we're gonna have a celebration of God's love for us. A celebration of the fact that He loves us. In, a different, in other places in the Bible, these are called love feasts or love festivals, where people got together to celebrate the love of God for them through communion, through remembering that it was the love of God that took Jesus that sent Jesus to the cross and was the love of, God, of of Jesus for us that held him there. Now Jesus, as he hung on the cross, the last thing he said was, it is finished. And some of you have a question this morning in your heart, God, do you really love me? And I want to say to you, it is finished. His love for you is secure. Some of you need physical or emotional healing this morning, and the Bible says that he was whipped for the, forgiveness, uh, for the healing of our body, that his body was broken so that we could be healed. And I want to say to you this morning it is finished. He has paid in full for your healing. And he became poor with our poverty so that we could become rich with his riches. It is finished. Whatever provision you need this morning, you can find at the cross. Some of you need comfort this morning. You're going through pain in your own life or the life of a loved one. And the parakletos, the Holy Spirit lives inside of you to comfort you. He loves you so much he doesn't want to miss a moment of your life. God did this so that we could become His sons and daughters. Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us, that we should be called sons and daughters of God. It was His love that took Him to the cross, His love for you. So we're going to eat of his body this morning. I just want you to say this in your own heart. Lord Jesus, I know that you love me. You were willing to be broken so I could be whole. Thank you. Let's eat together. To take this cup. You pray this prayer in your heart, Lord Jesus. I know that you love me because you shed your blood for me so that I could be righteous in your sight, so that I could have a relationship with you.